Hello, my name is Casey Rogers, and I'm your host for the Emerging Writers Podcast Series. This podcast is an exploration for what it takes for a writer to become a published author and how to sustain a professional writing career. Like many of you, writing is my passion, and I'm confident I know how to write a compelling story. But what holds me back is the same thing that holds many other writers back. How do we navigate a system that is more about finding a bestseller than it is about finding the best work? There are obstacles to our success, and many of them have nothing to do with the quality of our writing. In the next couple episodes, I'm going to be speaking with authors about their books and how and why they chose to write their stories within the frameworks of a specific genre. One reason people work with a type of genre is that it helps people to find your books. Another reason is that genre also gives the author a blueprint of sorts because each genre has a specific set of rules for the writer to follow. We'll explore what the needs and expectations are within these genres and why one may be well suited for your project. In this episode, I'm speaking with author Lisa Tolles, who is an award-winning crime novelist. Her latest thriller, 95, was released in November 2021 and won a Literary Titan Award for fiction. She has the first book of a new series coming out this June. We not only spoke about her new series, we also discussed how to practice self-care as a writer. It's something I've never given much thought about, but when I heard Lisa speaking about it, it made me realize how important it is for a writer. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Casey. I'm delighted to be here and thank you for inviting me. Oh, you are more than welcome. I'm really glad that we have had this time to schedule for an interview. I know that being on the West Coast, it was a little difficult with me being on the East Coast, but we finally made it. This is great. That's right. Yeah. So I want to learn more about the series that you've written or the the books that you have coming out. Could you tell me first about that? And then we'll go into some of the other subjects that I'd love to chat with you about. Yeah, I had a book come out last November called 95. That was through Indies United Publishing. And then I've been really enjoying working with them. And so I have another book coming out from Indies United that's coming out this coming June 15th. And it's a thriller called Hot House. And it is the first in a three book series. And then I have another standalone thriller. So 95 that came out last November was a standalone thriller. Hot House coming out in June is a series book. This November is going to be another standalone thriller called The Ritters. And then book two in the series is coming out next June. So I'm sort of starting a trend of publishing the the series books in June and the standalone thrillers in November. And I kind of like that approach. I, I think that's one of the real benefits of working with a publisher like Indies United. Um, Indies United has so many wonderful benefits. And one of them is that um, they leverage all of the tools and technologies and platforms of self-publishing. I'm, I'm not self-published through them, but they use all of those wonderful technologies so authors can have the agility to put out two books a year. Some authors put out more than two books a year. Honestly, I think there's a lot of on-ramp that you need marketing-wise to push a book out to the market. So two books a year, that's really the, my total capacity. But um, 
yeah, I like this kind of theme of the series books, the ENA series coming out in the summer, and then the standalone thrillers in late fall, just in time for Christmas. So let me answer your question. Hot House is, is the first in the series. It's about an investigation team. It's written from the first person point of view of Mari E. Her name's Marissa Elwin. And she's a former CIA operative, and she started a private investigation firm, and she realizes that she's over her head and really needs a partner for a number of reasons. So she takes on a partner named Derek Abernathy, and they're just starting out together in this book. Their partnership is more solidified in book two, and then also in book three it is. So there are three books in the series. Um, Mm -hmm. And they all take place in Southern California as the anchor hub. And then the stories take them to different parts of California too. And then, and book two also takes place in the British Virgin Islands. And so they, there's kind of globe trotting a little bit, but for the most part, they're anchored to Southern California. And this book, Hot House, is about an invest, two investigations that Mari and Derek are undertaking. I mean, like many thrillers, you have a couple of different threads that always mm-hmm. intersect at the end. And it's mm-hmm. the author's job to find ways to pull them together somehow. Oftentimes you don't know mm-hmm. how they're gonna intersect at the end. You know, I mean, I do outline my novels. I'm kind of a cross between a plotter and a pantser. You can talk yes. about those terms to your audience if, if you want, but I'm right in between. But oftentimes I don't know how something's going to end when I started. I I might have a good theme and the first um, seven or eight chapters or segments planned. And then I just see where it takes me. Setting up the path of where you want to go, but then doing some listening too. Yes. You follow the same process that I do. I outline, it's more of a sketch And then I let all the magic happen between the characters and let them drive the narrative so that it does seem more realistic. Yeah, because I think a lot of people get stuck. They feel that they have to be one or the other. And I think what's important is finding something that works for you. Yeah, I know that feeling. And I think magic is a great word for it. I think I used to outline more copiously and create more in-depth outlines earlier in my writing career. Mm -hmm. And what I started finding is that I exhausted my creative energy on the outline. And then when it came to writing the book, there was nothing left or there just wasn't enough left to propel me forward. And all of a sudden it started feeling like nonfiction writing. It started feeling like a homework assignment. And it was around that time that I read Stephen King's book on writing Mm -hmm. where he suggested not using an outline because he said, when you don't use an outline, at least for part of the book, you allow space for kind of organic inspirations to come through. And I thought, oh my God, that's so what I needed to hear right now. And so I started doing this thing where in in the midst of my writing, I have a line at the bottom of the very last page. And that's where I put kind of bullet points or notes. Mm -hmm. And and as I get, as I progress through the writing, once I'm three quarters of the way through the book, all of that content below the line, it might be 10 pages or something, Mm -hmm. things that I need to tie up, things that are yellow highlighted, green highlighted, pink highlighted. I have these different codes and that's my outline. And I think that's what happens at the end of a book too. You reach this 
oh my God, I only have 20,000 words left where I wanted to end up. How am I going to tie up all of these elements? That's mm -hmm. when the real plotting comes in. Okay, this is here. It needs to be here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to create these scenes to get me there realistically. That's absolutely brilliant. It's so funny that you mentioned the Stephen King book because I'm teaching a memoir writing course right now called The Elements of Memoir. And it's about how you can use elements of fiction to create a compelling non-fiction story and specifically memoir. His book was something that I thought was a really solid piece of advice. And what I tell the people that I have in my class is that even though he recommends not having an outline, I would rather go with his advice of not having an outline rather than something that's outlined to death to the point where, again, like you said, you've lost your creativity because you've put it into the outline. That's why I do the happy medium as well. It's yeah, like, it's a balance. And and yeah. like you said, Casey, it's very subjective. It, it's, mm -hmm. it just depends on what the individual writer needs mm -hmm. to get the story going. And that balance between orchestrating and engineering the plot forward and pausing and surrendering to what the characters want to do. Mm-hmm. And how they interact with one another. If you're plotting that or outlining it, it becomes so stilted. But if you let them develop in a way that is more organic and more natural, it just makes it so much more authentic. So I'm right with you. So I'm really excited about your books coming out. And Thank I you. think that's a brilliant way to do it. That brings more authenticity to it. I've heard agents, publishers say, Gone are the days of Tolkien, where you can just make up Middle Earth, mm -hmm. make up like, like a whole fantasy world. And I don't think that's necessarily true for one thing, but I think the more we root our, um, our plot lines in what's going on in the world, the more relatable they will be to our readers. I think, I think a lot of writers have contemplated, do I need to put COVID and put the pandemic in my books? Yeah, co the COVID in this pandemic is part of our um, collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. every, everyone in the world, so ubiquitous to everyone's story over the past two or three years. And I think that's been a common conversation among authors. Do I need to necessarily put this in my books? And I think the more we root stories in what we as authors see around us and mm -hmm. what our characters see around them, the more readers will be able to relate to them. And when your books are relatable, you establish deeper connection with your right. audience. I think that's absolutely true. Like the, mm. the memoir that I wrote, that was a difficult thing to write because it was from the heart and there was a lot of things that I was discovering about myself. And that's what I love about writing memoir and teaching memoir. People that are revealing amazing stories about their life and the challenges they've had and how they've overcome them. So memoir is a very special thing to me. Yeah. I think I, that, that's amazing what you shared about, about the memoir writer in your class. That's really interesting. And I think, I think memoir writing is just the real deal. Mm -hmm. I think I, I can't even imagine the courage 
that it takes to write a memoir. Think of it this way. Fiction is safe. As you say, we're making stuff. Even though we, we were talking earlier about bringing elements of how we feel about the world and what happens to us in the world, bringing that into our stories, there's still something that's inherently safe about reliving that through our characters. There's a sort of natural separation and a buffer there. But writing a memoir is about you mm -hmm. and the past and pain and challenges mm -hmm. and how you're and how you're churning through those and using them to evolve. And I think it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, it wasn't what I expected at all. I did not plan to write a memoir. I wrote a story about discovering that my husband was dying and a friend of mine in a class that I was taking I was getting my master's at the time and she was like you gotta write this you know whole story and the whole story was really just I wanted to tell about his illness and I was so angry because I felt like the system failed us I felt like the reason why he allowed himself to deny how sick he was because of finances, because he had lost his job and we were paying $1,200 a month for COBRA payments for a family of four. And that was more than our mortgage. And that was with a 20% deductible. So when he started to get sick, he self-diagnosed. And he thought that he could manage what he thought was going on and he couldn't. So by the time he discovered that it was quite by accident that he had stage four B cancer and they gave him two weeks to live. Oh my goodness. So that's the story I was writing. Wow. But the story that I ended up with was completely different. And I think that's why I decided to teach this class, because I understand how powerful memoir is. I understand mm -hmm. what it takes to put all of those feelings and all of those thoughts on a page. And you're not just writing a narrative about yourself as a character, but you're connecting everything to what you were experiencing emotionally at that time. So that writing your memoir was a way that you took care of yourself dealing with I, that loss. Yes. And I was just going to bring that up to you because that is an element that you address and you speak so passionately about is self-care. So can you address some of those things that you feel that our listeners could benefit from in terms of self-care? Absolutely. <clears throat> I, I started blogging and later speaking about something that I've later called strategic self-care, but basically as a way to help other writers feel happier on the journey. The writing path is hard. You're a writer. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of challenges. And I noticed a lot of self-sabotage things that I was doing and other writers were doing. And so I just started naturally looking for improvements. I mean, for myself. And so I started, I started the strategic self-care initially for writers. And then someone asked me if I could talk about it in the context of business leaders. And I noticed that the guidance was really pretty universal. So there, there are a couple of things that, that I talk about. I'll just go over a couple here today. Um, one of them is celebrating your wins, mm -hmm. also grieving losses, 
and taking control of your experience by engineering your thoughts and your mindset. So celebrating wins, I think I think it's important to celebrate not just wins, but small wins. If you have a big win, we're all pretty good collectively at celebrating big wins, but there might be a really long period of time in between these big wins. And so to feed yourself a steady diet of encouragement and mm. self-appreciation, that's what those um, that's what those small wins are. Some of the things that I blog about are what's what could be an example of a small win, how to celebrate them. And I think what comes into this part of the conversation is people feeling worthy enough to to acknowledge these small wins. I, I think, and it's related to the grieving losses too. So as writers, what's an example of loss? Rejection, of course. Mm-hmm. How many have we gone through in our lives? Mm-hmm. It's almost, and I've actually had conversations with writers about this, that, that writers are afraid to celebrate even a small win because they feel like like they're not they're not worthy of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think there are a lot of mindset issues and that's why I talk about the engineering your thoughts part. I, I think in a lot of ways strategic self-care isn't necessarily about buying something or scheduling a day off or investing in a week-long retreat. There is no disputing that things like that are absolutely useful and totally necessary. But I think real strategic self-care starts inside your head. Taking control of your experience by engineering your thoughts and your mindset and your general outlook to start attracting and expecting positive results from your work and your efforts. So Mm -hmm. for writers, expecting that when you send out these two query letters, you are going to hear back from that agent or from that publisher. Also cutting yourself slack when you do something that doesn't measure up to yours or someone else's expectations. We, mm-hmm. we don't have to be perfect. And we all know, we've all felt how aspiring towards perfection feels. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel good. It's very toxic. Mm-hmm. And checking in with yourself a few times a day if you're going through a challenging period, checking in by, and if you're not going through a challenging period, still checking in with yourself on, on a regular basis, pausing to say, how am I feeling? What do I need right now? Even if you don't get around to answering the question (laughs) and giving yourself what you need, the asking still has a very powerful effect, I think, Mm -hmm. on on the human heart. Mm -hmm. It shows that that you're not just a workhorse plowing forward. Send this out, send that out. I got this rejection. I'm immediately going to send out another three or four query letters. So the grieving of losses is something that's controversial and something that I find a lot of people don't really want to talk about and many people don't agree with too. I'm old enough as a as a person and I've been writing long enough to remember when years ago it was considered fashionable to paste your walls with rejection letters. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. I understand where that came from. You know, I mean, in a way, if you're getting a lot of rejection letters, it shows that you're sending your stuff out. And it's emblematic of your productivity and your courage sharing it with the world. You know, I mean, right, so right. so there is that. But having those constant reminders, visual reminders around you, I think can have a really negative effect and make you think, oh, what's the point of this? Whereas if you celebrate your wins by if you send a manuscript to an agent and let's say they write back to your 10 page 
submission, meaning a query letter plus a 10 page sample, let's say they write back and they ask for what's called a partial. This looks good. Send me a hundred pages. That's a win. Yeah. I mean, my, my goodness, the likelihood of that happening because there's a lot of competition and because um, agents don't have a lot of time and they have to be very specific, that's a success. And that will visually feed you the encouragement you need to send out those hundred pages to them and maybe send out a query letter to another agent on another project that you're working on. So by, by grieving losses, like rejections, what the benefits are, are authenticity, self-discovery, deep connection, and also the moment to reassess how you've spent your time and to recalibrate where you're going. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, so by, by grieving losses, I'm not talking about wallowing and, you know, checking out of life for the, a whole week. I'm talking five minutes yeah. or one, one minute, checking in with yourself. And a great example of this is a tweet that I saw on Twitter this week. And this one writer got a rejection from an agent who requested a full manuscript. She read it for three months and then rejected it. And, and the author tweeted something about this and said, said that had happened and said that when they went to their manuscript wish list page, we can talk about what that is. Mm -hmm. She describes that what she's looking for is exactly her novel. Yes. So she, she was tearing her hair out saying, that's exactly what I wrote and you rejected me. And she wrote in that tweet, she said, got to admit that really stinks. Yeah. That's self-care. Yes. Think. She admitted it. She acknowledged it to herself that she was disappointed by that. And that really stung. She was hoping for it. And not surprisingly, like a hundred people wrote back to her with these, mm -hmm. uh, with, with these cheerleading messages saying, keep going. It's yes. okay. It's not personal. Maybe, maybe the agent was only allowed to accept two other, two other books in this category. You don't know what the competition mm -hmm. was, but I thought that was great self-care that she went to the community, explained um, something that was really a, a letdown and a disappointment. She got a lot of reassurance for it. And she said, she thanked everyone for yeah. their feedback and she sent it out to someone else. So she was asking for help asking for care from the community and she got it and she was authentic to herself doing that. So I thought that was great. I think that's wonderful. And you brought up something that I think is so important that sometimes just allowing yourself a moment of disappointment gives you a release. It, it puts it out there. And so instead of holding it inside and feeling that disappointment over and over again, you're getting it out. And it's gone. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. And, the, and the holding it inside is such a negative pattern in honestly so many contexts. So whatever, whatever we hold inside and whatever we're avoiding in, mm -hmm. in some ways is going to get bigger until we pay attention to it. As you said, it's a way of taking it from your head and from your heart and just getting it out there so that yeah. you can just keep the cycle moving. Okay, that, that, that was really hard. Yeah, that that did not meet my specifications that that didn't meet my expectations and an opportunity to say for the next query letter that I want to send out to another agent. Do I want to do it the same way? Do I want to send the same amount of pages? Maybe I want to craft the letter differently or maybe you don't want to change anything about it and you look at it and you're like, no, this feels right. I'm going to just send it to another agent. You know, yeah. I mean, but ha having that check in with yourself, I think um, can be helpful. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think you brought up another point that's really relevant. And I think a lot of new writers have to listen is that it's not personal. I worked in the advertising industry for years. And one of the things that I learned that is so applicable to this whole process is that agents and editors and publishers, they're human beings and they have good days and bad days. And all of these things have an influence on whether you get your foot through the door. And I think a lot of times agents don't read your manuscript. Yes. They're, they're going to have people who work for them, assistant editors, read those manuscripts. And so you never know who will be receiving yes. your, your work. And let's, let's talk about that word receive too. I think that's another self-care point that I've been working on in myself too. Thinking about rejection letters plastered on your walls, which I, I did do many years ago, but I stopped doing that pretty quickly. Now I have um, my small wins um, on my walls. I just tack them up with a thumbtack. But one question that we might ask ourselves is uh, considering the competition and looking at what we're trying to do, are we calibrated to receive? Mm-hmm. Are, are we ready for a yes? When you've gotten so many no's in your life, are you ready for a yes? You know, I mean, I've had writing teachers that guided me to quietly meditate and imagine what it would feel like. For, for an agent or a publisher to say yes to a manuscript, to simulate what that would feel like so that you're not just spending all of your energy thinking of no and thinking of rejection letters. You're also thinking about acceptance letters and you're realizing that your writing is, is worth being accepted and that mm-hmm. you have a story to tell that other people want to hear. So engineering our thoughts, again, to be calibrated so that we're ready to receive mm-hmm. um, that, that positive feedback and also being real about ourselves too. You know, I mean, like what needs to be polished, what needs to be refined in our story, in those initial pages that we're sending to an agent or a publisher so that it's perfect. So it really hums. Yeah. There's so yeah. much to it, Casey, right? <laughs> there absolutely is. Yeah, so I'm really glad that we got a chance to catch up and and chat about a lot of things. So mm-hmm. I I just mm-hmm. want to make sure that everybody knows how to be in touch with you and, right. and when your book is coming out and right. June fifteenth. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so it's coming up fast, but I'm excited. Yeah. Are you doing pre-sales? Will we be able to buy it in pre-sale? Uh huh. It's available for for pre-order on Amazon. Okay, great, excellent. Okay. And I have a couple events coming up. I'll have a book release at a bookstore in the Bay Area in Alameda and something else at a winery coming up. Are those events that I can put up on the podcast page so that people can find them when they listen yeah. to this podcast? Uh-huh. Excellent. Yep. Excellent. Yep. That's great. I will send you all that information. That's absolutely perfect. I am so grateful we had an opportunity to talk. Thank you. I'm going to let you go. And thank you once again for working with me with a very difficult schedule for both of us. No problem. I'm delighted that I could be here today. And I really enjoyed the the back and forth and the conversation. Writing is hard. Writing is rewarding. But let's take care of each other. That's right. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Lisa. Thank you. 
What I loved about talking with Lisa is she not only addresses her passion for writing as a crime novelist, she also loves to share her knowledge and experiences about how to do things that we need to do in order to stay well. Her perspective on celebrating our wins and acknowledging our losses makes total sense, but it's something that I've never given much thought about before speaking with her. Thank you for listening to the Emerging Writer Series podcast. There are so many wonderful writers out there with works that we want to explore. Our goal is twofold. We aim to inform and inspire new writers on how to achieve their goals, as well as highlighting works by new, undiscovered, or noteworthy authors we admire. Feel free to send us your recommendations, and we'll do our best to take a look. And don't forget to check out the line of writer-themed merchandise that supports our show at thetwobeanscafe.com, as well as checking out the links for our guests on this show. Join me next time for my interview with YA author Laura Denovia Berry and the upcoming release of the first in her series, Death at Dunsbar College. Thanks for listening. Onward and upward.